You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. All right, Hayden, I got a bit of a light question for you. Start it off with, how is, uh, how's summer over there? It, I, it, it just like, it always dawns on me that as the weather gets worse over here, it's cold, rainy, icy, just terrible weather that you are entering just a beautiful summer over in Australia. How, what is that like? Have you been enjoying yourself? Do you get out a lot? Do you, do you go to the beach? Like, I don't even know what it's like in the land, the land down under, as they say. In theory, it's summertime. Yeah. Uh, we've had some okay weather, but we've also had these really kind of crazy, like tropical storms roll through. So, um, you know, Monday, Sunday was like beautiful, really nice weather. And then Monday, all of a sudden there's just like sideways rain, you know, 100 mile an hour winds, mm. like, I don't know if that's right, 100 kilometer an hour winds, and just like crazy weather. So it's been an interesting start to, to summer. We'll, we'll see how it, it unfolds. But no, I mean, I, I get out. I'm not a big beach fan, but definitely get out for walks and things like that. Is it like a tropical climate in Australia? Because I've heard that Sydney was kind of like California. It's subtropical. So Queensland, which is the northern part of Australia, is more tropical, but it's, it's more subtropical. So you get a bit of a mix, but you get a lot of like thunderstorms and um especially in this this time of year so well mm. we are this time of year so that's uh that's the, with the weather talking weather that's how we've degenerated over 88 episodes of arsenal passes we're now talking about the weather but brendan just come on down to the southern hemisphere and hang out there's a calling in in february you know we can yeah i just need uh i need people to lobby for me to go down and cast that calling and i'll be there no problem you know speaking of weather i actually woke up this morning at about 6 a.m to tornado sirens um that's uh yeah that's texas weather for you it it never it never actually comes through my area but yeah i woke up to what sounded like like a bombing raid or something i was like well well i had no idea what was going on well just come play and uh you know better weather potentially surely better weather much worse well you overestimate my abilities Welcome back to episode 88 of Arsenal Pass. We are talking Dynasty and Class Constructed and how this metagame has started to unfold. We're now about a month into Dynasty post-release. We've had a number of battle hardens around the world, as well as some other smaller events for us to draw on. And we're now hitting the holiday break hiatus before we basically come back in January and we hit the ground full steam running with battle harden season again and ProQuest season. We now know that Outsiders is coming in March. So we have this kind of smaller condensed season that's going to include some callings, some battle hardens, and ProQuest season with Dynasty, which is effectively going to be January, February. So looking forward to it. <clears throat> We've just had announced that there is calling Indianapolis and calling Auckland happening in uh, February as well. So a lot of events to look forward to. Brendan, will you be heading up Indianapolis? I'm going to be heading over to Auckland to play that event for sure. Yeah, I think that almost guaranteed it'll be going to Indianapolis, whether it's to play. Hopefully it's to commentate. Um, but I'd be super happy playing that. I played the the last uh, the last calling in Indianapolis. Did I guess decently well? That was the the tournament where I lost D Rude for the winning in uh, for top eight on stream. <laughs> so some uh, some in- some interesting memories. But yeah, Indianapolis is cool. I'm happy for there to be another calling circuit like we talked about uh, before. It's something that I've wanted to come back that level uh, that level of competitive play, sort of below the Pro Tour, below Worlds, but above. Um, 
these like battle hardens. So yeah, I'll be, I'll be in Indianapolis. Uh, I would love an excuse to go over to Auckland again. Um, take Hayden out to the best restaurant in the world, which is uh, <laughs> pasture in Auckland. Nothing comes close. It's the best. I'm just going to go, um, by the way, I'm going by, with it. You really should. Just to, just it's to- absolutely, absolutely amazing. Like it, it's the best. It's the best. And uh, I don't know if Auckland is normally known for its food, but pasture is above really? and beyond. All right. I've been yeah. to some, some pretty good restaurants. I'll tell you what, though, so, Brendan, the, the, my issue I have with restaurants and us talking about food is that, <clears throat> please don't hate me, people. Please don't hate me. Uh, I have not had an above average meal in the United States of America. And I've been to some, tried to go to some nicer restaurants. So I'm, I am apprehensive. But that's, I, to be fair, I think in, Particularly in Melbourne and Sydney, we're really spoiled with amazing food options and restaurants in, in this part of the world. So, um, you know, Brennan, you come over to Sydney or we go to Melbourne, I'll, I'll, I'll take you to some good spots as well. Don't you worry. Yeah, I'm trying to think if we went to any good restaurants we've while we were together. together. Nah. We've been to we like, went to we went to Del Frisco's, which yeah. is like it's basically like the the chilies of steakhouses. It's <laughs> it's a it's a, it's considered like a a nice fancy restaurant, but it's it's a chain. I, I don't know. It, it, you were talking. You about. really un- you, no no. Honestly, you really understand what Del Frisco's is if you go to the one in New York because they like offer you like this like subscription package and like all this. Oh, and you're like, what is going on here? Timeshare, <laughs> like, yeah, timeshare, yeah, steak. exactly. Yeah. Like the timeshare steak. Um, yeah, Del Frisco's is it's fine. And then I think we, when I was in New York, he didn't come with me to uh, either. Yeah, to Kaiseki Room, which was freaking amazing sushi. So yeah, next time. Well, maybe the pro tour will be in New York, and then looks like to and. An actual decent right, restaurant in the in. United States. Lock it in. All right. Anyway, uh, enough about food. <laughs> How was your week in Flesh and Blood, Brendan? Did you play? Have you been playing any Flesh and Blood? You know, people are going to start to question whether you are a Flesh and Blood player. You're going to get comparisons drawn to Tan and Grace. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Hopefully, hopefully not. Um, at least not for many, many years. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Um, no, I haven't been playing much, to be honest. I, I am just taking a break a bit before the pro quest season mm. um because i do play yeah which i so i intend to play pretty much every single weekend uh during pro quest which i don't really have an incentive incentive to do that like i don't need the pti or any but i just want i want to i find it enjoyable and that's sort of like a grind and a challenge and you know you can win i think tournaments that uh, that are good yeah fun to win i guess or whatever but so, yeah, taking fun. a break Taking a break up until then, so I haven't been playing much. Have been playing quite a bit of Marvel Snap. I was like, really, you know, they came out the new season. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna get a quick hit infinite really quick, and I got to like rank ninety in like a few hours, and then holy shit, dude, my slog from ninety to hundred, which is their highest rank, has been absolutely miserable. Um, so far, they have this card called Leader, and it makes me want to punch myself in the in the face every time someone plays <laughs> against me yeah, yeah so that that's been taking up a bit of time but yeah i'm going yeah definitely back in fab for the pro quest season and planning to play you know play kano or play play dash um and have fun with it i think that this meta is it's exciting for what it is and you get to experience dynasty during this pro quest season and some of these high level events that we're right into uh right into outsiders for uh, the upcoming pro tour yeah, well, we'll let you piggyback on the back of our, our testing. How about that? We'll, we'll we'll give you a deck for for uh, ProQuest or for this Indianapolis calling. I mean, I I planned the same to not play much Flesh and Blood. I didn't plan to start testing for anything until the new year. But Dynasty has just been so enjoyable. I've just wanted to play games. So 
me and friend of the show Damakai have been playing quite a bit this week actually most most nights this week getting in some some games uh testing a few sort of like ideas we have some really fun stuff i went to an armory i played combo reiner i wouldn't recommend it it's it's fun it's a lot of fun it's just not quite good enough <laughs> so that's one you know put that one down for a while but uh berserk is yeah it's a card it's it's definitely breakable but is it breakable quite yet with the card pool probably not quite but i was i was trying my darndest i'll tell you what i had like a forward like potions in my deck i had like everything i was trying to like set up this and i, I did a couple of times like i did you know 30 40 damage turns but um more often than not i was just dying so. <laughs> yeah i mean anytime you say that you're like it's not good enough you have to add yet into that because for sure that card is yeah the card we'll, is we'll get true. there Maybe we gotta go. You know, we gotta go in the lab and cook out, cook up some magic fairy dust to bring that deck over the line and bring it to the first pro or the first pro tour in twenty twenty three. That'd be great. Um, would, but who knows? I would love to. Maybe, maybe we just bring Kano. Yeah, maybe we just bring Kano again. Also fine with that decision. I've also been just a, a off-topic plug spotlight. Uh, I've been reading some Brandon Sanderson. Brendan, I know you're a Brandon Sanderson fan. I've been reading Mistborn. I haven't read Mistborn before, so uh, oh, that's good. The first book, so. There we go. A uh, bit of an off-topic. Yeah, I know we have some fantasy worth, fans. Oh, we, there's definitely some Sanderson fans yeah, that listen to this podcast because I remember when I sit on my couch, there's these like Sanderson leather bounds. Oh, you can which, see by the way, way, everybody, way of the Kings. Looks like, you have, uh, looks like you have Way of Kings in the back there, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, well, the leather bounds are from these like limited edition Kickstarters, but I just want to let everybody know that they're actually not mine. They're my partners. <laughs> <laughs> People are like, mad respect for the leather bound. No, they're not mine. Um, Mistborn is fantastic. There is a series after that, which is the element part of, of like, right? Well, it's Alloy the, of Steel was the first book. Whatever, yeah. Yeah. The, there's the Wax and Wayne, Wayne series, which I didn't like as much. And then there's like the futuristic version, I think. But oh, um, right, yeah, okay. the original Mistborn are fantastic. Um, I've actually been reading a, uh, a book as well called Windwalker by Mr. Dan Mackay. <laughs> oh, there the you show. go. <laughs> yeah, he wrote a book. Uh, he asked me he asked me to pick it up. I've actually I've been reading that <laughs> these past couple of weeks. All right, well, we'll get an uh, on, on show review next week, and uh, that could decide, make or break Damakai's literary career. Yeah, blow Sanderson out of the water. Uh, all right, let's move on to the news and some massive organized play announcements, Brendan. We talked about it kind of at the start of the show there a little bit. Uh, James White, in his infinite wisdom, decided to do the article himself, which is always cool. It's cool when James White jumps on the mothership and writes the article himself for organized play. He talks a bit about <clears throat> organized play in 2022 and how proud he is of, of that, obviously. And then talks about organized play in 2023. And uh, this commitment to the same OP pathway that we've seen throughout the sort of first year and a half of Flesh and Blood OP, which is this tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four, uh, view of organized play doesn't change in in 2023 what does change however is uh, also another million dollars being committed to uh organized play in 2023 which is awesome to see so in line with 2022 but what is changing is some stuff around scheduling lead times and seasons and brendan of course the big one is only one pro tour next year although the prize pool is double that of what we saw for each pro tour this year so it is one pro tour one world championships and i just want to talk about these seasons because i think this is a really and i want to get your view on this but i think it's a really cool way to give players a better understanding of what to expect from organized play in 2023 without necessarily giving them a calendar to start with but at least you understand <clears throat> roughly when events are going to be happening and we know there's going to be some downtime between sets and also they've really committed what james has said in this they're committing to set releases around the time of the start of seasons and at least giving a 
two week gap between the start of a season so people can get cards things like that before you know even a battle harden happens things like that so um so these are the three seasons that lss have now announced are happening for 2023 the first season is going to run march to june and this is going to be alongside outsiders so we know outsiders releasing in march and this is going to be the pinnacle events they have a pinnacle event for each this is going to be pro tour usa pt1 uh, and the seasonal programs are going to run during this first season is road to nationals and skirmish season six so uh, you can probably deduce from this is that we're going to get a skirmish season where they're going to get the pro tour and then we have road to nationals following that to round out the season off the back of the pro tour is what it sounds like season two july to september is going to be the next expansion set so these are now what they're calling the supplemental sets called expansion sets this is going to be july to september so your your dynasties for instance um and this is going to be the pinnacle events going to be the national championships you can safely assume these are probably going to be happening in september i, I would say and you're also going to have skirmish season seven which you would think probably happens before then and then so a bit of a, a more a low, lower key season potentially um and then october january we'll also have battle hardens of course throughout these and then october january is the next standalone set another draftable set like we do with outsiders and tails etc the pinnacle event world championships and the pro quest season which you would assume would happen after the world championships to qualify you for pt1 in 2024 so a real pretty key clear roadmap there for what organized play looks like in 2023 and brendan i'm gonna throw it over to you for your thoughts I mean, I think the best way to sum it up is it's a step in the right direction. Um, it isn't the final form. I think that you know, dates would still be fantastic uh, mm. as soon as we could get them. Because um, that's what that's that's the real pain point, right? Is the exact sort of weekend that you're going to have to take off, whether it's for work, how long you're going to be going out, are we going out for the weekend or for the week? Getting the houses, you know, getting the testing team together. Logistically, it's tough, right? And so the more time we have, the better. These sort of like macro, high level views of what the entire season of 2023 will look like absolutely great stuff in the right direction and it's great i'm super happy to see it and it's good that they i i think that they actually heard community feedback <clears throat> um i remember specifically after we had a podcast where we kind of dug into that topic we actually got feedback that they were they didn't know that that was really a like a big pain point and i think they were already seeing the ramifications of them potentially trying to fix that system and make it a bit better for the player side yeah, no, completely agree. I think even in the article, James said they have taken on board as much feedback as possible and tried to understand what the pain points are. And one of those was around burnout and fatigue. And there is a bit more downtime, but also I think tactical downtime. You know, one of the mm. issues I have with like Dynasty is Dynasty releases and then you have downtime. That that kind of, you know, and I that obviously wasn't the intention. The intention was Dynasty originally was going to come before Worlds and then you, you know, you have this as a very different landscape. But we're getting ahead of that next year and I wouldn't be surprised to see two PTs, for instance, the following year because now you have the ProQuest season at the end of 2023 OP as opposed to, you know, trying to... They've always been running a bit behind and it looks like this is maybe the first year where they're going to start to get on sort of the timeline of what they want to be, so... What I want to ask you, what about, what's your thoughts on one PT next year? Um, yeah, I mean, so traveling to multiple pro tours is, because uh, usually they're in different regions, it's, it can be tough, right? Uh, it's, it's a lot to ask of some players, but I think that for me, I found that, that, oh, I found the experience last year to be overall very enriching, you know, getting to travel to Europe, getting to go to New York. Uh, hey, I know for you, it was a little bit tougher. Um, 
I found it to be a good experience. Do I think it was the the best model moving forward? I'm not sure, right? I'm in a pretty strategic location for a lot of these things. Like the United States is really easy. Dallas is like probably one of the best places to live in <laughs> for that. It's just central to everything. Um, I'm totally cool with it. I'm totally cool with one PT. I don't have I don't have strong thoughts one way or the other. But I know for players in some of these less supported regions, this could be quite refreshing. Yeah, I'm a massive fan of it. It, it took me sort of a couple of days to think about it, but. From a personal standpoint, I'm a big fan of it because I wasn't going to go to more than one PT next year. My, my, my thought process was probably skip the middle PT, go to first PT and Worlds or skip the first PT depending on where it was, but probably not travel Europe, for instance. Uh, just so hard to do. But I also think that's been a lot of people's feedback is like people were saying, you know, it was like PT Lille, Nationals, World Championship was in the space of a couple of months. It was so quick. It was a lot of travel. It was a lot of uh, monetary, you know, financial commitments. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of time commitments. And, and it just meant that People either couldn't do it, they could do it, they felt like they had to. You know, there was all these feelings around it. I think this expanded season, a PT sort of early in the year, early mid to the year, Worlds sort of late portion of the year, two massive events. Plus, you've got your national championships. We're going to have more callings. They've committed to having callings. And uh, the other thing we didn't talk about is these, they've got these tiers of callings now so that they can commit to run callings in smaller regions that, you know, they probably wouldn't want to commit, say, some of these larger prize pools to $20,000, $30,000 they are doing they're calling the lower tier of callings, which is $10,000 prize pool. And these will be for, I think it's under 400 players or expected for, for under 400 players. Up to I, 300. I love, I love, love, love that they're tearing it off of player participation. Sure. Like, I think that's a great way to do it because yeah, I remember there was a calling in Taiwan when Taiwan was virtually impossible to get to for outsiders mm-hmm. because of the COVID, the COVID limitations. And it just, like, I didn't feel particularly slighted as a player, but it was it was unfortunate. It was like, okay, here's another ten thousand dollar tournament that is pretty much the same as the one here in 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 Texas or in Indianapolis, where there's like me and me a five hundred to a thousand players. It's like that one is probably objectively easier to win, but I just can't go because I don't live there. And I think that tiering these uh, tiering the prizes based off participation makes sense, right? From the from the publisher side or from the people hosting the tournament, they make more money as more people participate and buy entry into the tournament, and they can increase that prize pool. And the more players in the tournament, you know, the harder it is to win, theoretically. So the prestige and the reward that mm-hmm. you will get for winning that tournament goes up. Totally makes sense. And I think it's a great change. Yeah. So just just so if you haven't seen this already, up to 300 players means a $10,000 prize pool. Three to 600 players is 20000 And over 600 players is a $30,000 prize pool. So I think this is great. I think, you know, we can see things like a calling in uh, somewhere like Japan or Brazil where there are these emerging sort of uh, flesh and blood markets. And they can commit it to a lower tier, whereas they can still do, you know, the calling Indianapolis at a, a I assume, a tier three, the highest tier of of uh, of calling or there or thereabouts. Callings alongside Pro Tour One and World Championships, those are definitely your, you know, your your highest tier of calling. So, yeah, I think this is huge. I think committing to, I would like to see more callings in general. I think mm-hmm. these allow for regionality players to, you know, say you're in the US and you get. Just think back to that calling series that we got with Tales of yeah. Mario, right? Like that is that is such a great way to get player base really engaged, involved, and it's not as hard to travel as it is to say international events. Obviously, the prize pools are smaller, but if you're in a third tier of calling, you know these look a lot more appealing. They can pay down a lower, which is what they're talking about. Maybe you're in a region like I am. You get a calling in Australia. You get a calling in in Singapore or Hong Kong, and a calling in in New Zealand across the year. Cool, I get to go three callings in pretty close proximity, and it's it's not that hard to do compared to traveling to in France or the east coast of the US for Pro Tours. Yeah, <clears throat> that calling circuit uh, in the United States is when 
like as a player, I felt the most at like that I was playing like a pro circuit, right? Like I was, I had the opportunity to kind of that's because you uh, play almost every yeah exactly <laughs> almost every weekend to be in you know at yeah. these big tournaments that were genuinely hard to win. They had prestige, and a lot of people were showing up, and it was a it was an awesome it was an awesome experience. I do want to drill down into one thing that was mentioned in the article, and you said it as well, which is fatigue, right? They mentioned that they got feedback on player fatigue. I think this is a really interesting issue, actually, because fatigue is, it's kind of a finicky thing to deal with, right? Because if they just had more callings, like people that get, people that are mentioning that they're getting fatigued, I think, I think those are the people that are feeling compelled to go to these tournaments and they don't really want to anymore. Um, so the incentivization is pushing them to, to play tournaments that they don't want to. I do think that maybe more callings is better than less but at the same time i don't think that you know, if we talk about content we call, we talk about tournaments having a calling season having a pro tour <clears throat> and then filling this this gap with like another skirmish season that happens to like kind of overlap with road to nationals is like right after yeah as a pro player and as a person that's like playing the game more i'm probably not going to care about the skirmish season i'm probably going to take it off and that that would sort of exemplify my my definition of like me getting fatigued and flesh and blood is like yeah i don't really care about the this road to national season or the skirmish season lower level events but i do think that more higher level events like callings would be great yeah yeah, it's a tough one. It depends. I think it's going to be an individual basis, which events you feel compelled to want to play at. And I think there's this, there's this kind of thing, I think, with the early in a game, like Flesh and Blood, where it's like you feel compelled to go to these events because it's like, say you do well in the first event. It's like, well, you know, to keep my ELO, to keep my name out there, I need to keep going to these events. I feel like I'm, you know, there's this buy-in. I need to be there. I think that starts to dissipate as the player base grows and the game shows its maturity and where the game's going to go, I hope. But also at the same time, giving, what did I say, more callings? I think what it can do is give opportunities to have callings in places that we wouldn't last year or the year before. Like I said, you know, like a, a Brazil or Japan, for instance, things like that. That's what I hope to see out of more potential callings. But yeah, Battle Hardens, they've already said as well on this, that there will be, you know, there's going to be Battle Hardens in, in places like this. And it's so interesting because I never play Battle Hardens. <laughs> I don't enjoy it. <laughs> well... Yeah, well, the main reason why they're unenjoyable, Hayden, is actually because of the structure. Um, so many, well, like so many people show up. I don't know if they, I feel like it kind of is breaking their system. They they've adjusted it a bit with uh, two day stuff, but the way it used to be, it was like you would show up to a battle harden, and it 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 sort of lost. It didn't. The integrity suffered because you would lose one round and be knocked out. And it was like, that doesn't really feel like a real tournament. And so like, yeah. So that was the biggest issue with Battle Hardens, in my opinion, mm -hmm. and why I actually opted to not play them um, sometimes before in the past. Such a grind. I've not played a Battle Harden this year. And I've had the opportunity to play, I think, four of them. I just, you know, yeah. I haven't made a Sunday at a, at a Pro Tour. I haven't made a Top 8. So it's like... I've had the ability to play them each. I guess I played the Dev Challenge at uh, at Worlds, but yeah, I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna avoid this. All right, I think we need to move on. But there's some exciting stuff happening with OP. James has said that we're gonna get more dates in January for Season One. Uh, prior to Season One, though, we do have some events that are already in the books and are happening. So this is the Calling Indianapolis and the Calling Auckland. These are both prior to the start of Season One, prior to the release of Outsiders. That's exciting to see. So that is third to fifth February in Indianapolis and February 24th to 26th in Auckland, New Zealand. And then as well, we do have a series of battle hardens that are happening. Uh, I'm just going to run through these really quickly. Leeds and New Jersey are 13th to 15th of January. 
27th to 29th of January is Belgium, February 11th to 12th is Bologna in Italy, and 3rd to 5th of March is Charlotte in the United States. So we, you know, there's somewhere, if you're somewhere in the world, you can I presumably probably access uh, some form of battle hardens or calling over the next three months uh, if you really, really, really want to, which is cool. You know, that's a good start. And then we, of course, head into season one with more details to come. Um, I'm sure we'll be talking more about that as we go. Of course, Outsiders also releasing March 24th, pre-release weekend, March 27th. We haven't heard anything about world premieres for this event. Maybe that doesn't happen this time around with the coinciding of season one, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, world Championship vlog is up, Brendan. I know you got to see the little Easter egg at the end, the Dante Del Fico Easter egg. <clears throat> Please go and check out the video. Let us know what you think of it. Uh, we, we had a lot of effort put into this one and we, we're going to try and do this again we all feedback welcome of how you'd love to see these vlogs go uh, next time we're probably going to have some sort of like testing environment as well like in person which we didn't get to do for worlds because of the timeline uh which would be, be great as well so you can go check that out drop us a like drop us a comment whatever you want to do metal fab tokens the arsenal pass collab token is still available up on metalfabtokens.com and just want to shout out me and brendan are both working on some content for december jan we've got some stuff coming your way i'm in the midst of making a kano video and people want to see that the dash deck tech we've got some more cc focused content before proquest season kicks off on jan 15th brendan anything to else to add to the news before we move on yeah i mean pretty much what you all are used to in terms of arsenal pass content leading into competitive seasons like proquest road to nationals or calling seasons um just gonna be having some guests on likely to do some deck techs uh, have an additional piece on patreon if you're looking for the sideboard guide and maybe some extra tips and tricks that don't make it into the video um if you if you're interested in seeing like some particular players uh go ahead and shout out shout them out in the comments that actually helps us a yes, lot please. who you all interested in hearing from um because we would love to have them on, uh, especially people that are specialists in some sort of hero that, you know, really, really have, you know, put the time in, uh, would love to have them join us on Arsenal Pass and potentially do something like a deck tech for this upcoming ProQuest season. 100%. Yeah. Let us know who you'd love to see. Uh, we can get some returning favorites, maybe some new blood in there. There's so many amazing players out there that we could, uh, we could invite on. And if they want to come on, you know, great. Maybe they don't want to. We'll see. <laughs> All right, Brendan, come on to cookout time. Fire up the Barbie, rah, 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 all that jazz, you know. We haven't done that in a while, so we'll, we'll come back with that in the new year with some some heat. Uh, shorter question this week coming from Zach. Zach in the Arsenal Pass Patreon Discord. Shout out to Zach because uh, he smashed post-fitness challenge. He kind of carried on with the Arsenal Pass fitness challenge, and I think he lost, like, uh, an incredible amount of, of weight, right, Brendan? He just committed to, like, this kind of, like, workout routine, calorie counting and a, a healthier lifestyle and, and he said it was balanced and he's just been smashing it so i haven't seen him he's actually here in australia but he's in a different state i haven't seen him since kind of the the kind of end of the fitness challenge and his kind of journey so i'm excited to see him probably at a, a pro quest maybe in the new year <clears throat> anyway zach has a question let's get to that have you ever tried flesh and blood's more casual formats like upf we've been playing a little bit more at armory uh, before armories lately and it's been surprisingly fun experience Brendan, I don't know if you've played any, so I might just start with my experience so far and uh, maybe just get your kind of thoughts overall on what you think about these casual formats. But I have had the opportunity to play a couple of UPF games. When I was in Singapore for The Calling prior to Lille, I got to hang out with Lost in Space and some of the Singapore community, and we played some UPF. That was awesome. I played a janky-ass... Hey, I tried to play Combo Rhino on that as well, actually. But this janky Combo Rhino deck with a bunch of potions and crazy brews and stuff. Um... And I, I had such fun. Like, yes, it is definitely a casual format. I think trying to make it into a competitive format, like we've seen at some of these events for like winner, 
book welcome to wraith book or whatever at um pro tour side events and stuff like that i'm i don't know maybe that's cool and people want to see that stuff i'm not sure like how enjoyable that is if you're you're you know you're playing purely to just like win and win and win because it is quite a um uh what's the word it's a political, political game. Yeah, it's it's very political, right? It's like it's like playing, you know, like some of these other political based uh, games that you might like mini games you might play with friends. So there is that aspect to it. But I, I had a lot of fun. Like there's so many cool things you can do. And the multiplayer environment leads to, you know, people play Valder and there's all these like, different ways to play the game that you might not experience with, you know, 1v1 gameplay. What it does lead me to think is like, I can't wait for PvE. I think PvE is going to just be like a game changer for the casual side of Flesh and Blood. Do I, th- I don't, I'm not sure UPF is, the mainstay format for the more grassroots, more kitchen table side of flesh and blood. I feel like that, yeah, depending on how PV is done. <laughs> I think it's splits. Oh, you think it's, I, I, I think I it's PVE, I, but yeah, I think it's splits. Um, I, PVE, PVE. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen it yet. Exactly, it that's be, a tough it thing. Be, it could could be great. Could be great. And we've seen you know heroes um, that look like they'll slot right Indeed. into that that kind of format. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think right now Blitz is sort of the tabletop format of Flesh and Blood. I th- I have a lot of hopes for UPF just because of what Commander has done for Magic the Gathering. I would love for that to happen in Flesh and Blood. Mm-hmm. It, it's great for the game. Um, I did play UPF. I've played it a few times back when it was like first ideated, um, which it was janky back then. I think it had a different, kind of a bit of a different set of rules um, and obviously a much smaller card pool. I think this was in Crucible of War. Yep. So I played it a bit. For me, I do struggle to enjoy those formats because I have, uh, you know, like I'm working on it as I get older and get in in my in my years. But uh, I just have a lot of trouble waiting to to for my turn. You know, I sit there and I just my brain just now? like wants it, like yeah. starts to implode as I'm just like sitting there and sitting there and sitting there and sitting there. So I think if you're playing with the right group of people and it's like it's something you're doing as like. Um, as it's additional to the to, to the social aspect right you're just hanging out yeah it can be fun but for me like as like a, a way to play flesh and blood uh one day i'll get there i think one day once i once i um once i learn a bit a little bit more patience but yeah i think that for me like right now upf is upf is cool it's great i saw some people playing the york the york upf thing um <laughs> back in uh san jose which looked really fun um but ultimately probably not the format for me. And I do think that it's uh, still, it's not quite the kitchen table format of flesh and blood. Although I, I hope it does become that at one point, because I think that commander is a, is a great aspect of magic. Yeah. Something about like, if I compare it to some of say magic and commander, and that is like the premier, I mean, it's just become the premier format of magic the gathering, but it is, it's the, it's the premier multiplayer format and casual to semi-casual format uh what that brings is a different kind of i don't know there's a sense of i guess maybe the card pool is so much bigger there's so much more you can do yeah. and the way that commanders work yeah whereas it is a bit like flesh and blood feels a little bit shoehorned into upf in a way it doesn't feel quite perfect doesn't feel quite right and i, I think there's so much opportunity for that to change as we go through but again i just keep coming back to pve because i think that it, there's this opportunity for pve to be an amazing way to play flesh and blood with with friends, with strangers, uh, at your local game store, I think there's so much opportunity. You can do some really cool things with, you know, like monthly challenges at your at your armories, where there's a certain like maybe like hero or like a villain that's you know enemy that's there or environment. There's so many different things you can do. So, yes, UPF played it. I think it's 
at least enjoyable and I can see why some people find it really, really enjoyable and there's, there's something there. Long term, I'm more excited about like, you know, PvE, for instance. I also, I don't know if you've ever played these, Brennan, but you know, these like cooperative kind of board games where, you know, I get more involved in that because I get to like, I get to watch what like the person two to my left is doing and I'm more... I'm more invested in it because I'm actually interested in like them making the right plates in order for us to beat the game. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I don't have any of those things, uh, those prerequisites called friends um, true. to play with. True, <laughs> no, true. Honestly, honestly, <laughs> I don't. I'm not even joking. Um, so I, I haven't played them. Um, but yeah, they, they, they do look potentially fun. There, there was a PvE in Flesh and Blood just for like a little, a little snippet here. Yeah, there was, a, there was this like car game you would like beat up this car or something in the yeah. first Auckland calling back in 2020. Um, and I think it was Alan. It was, was it was Alan and yeah. Ian from reflex radio. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they, they had like this like sort of PVE game and the person that won actually got the spoiler, uh, for Voltic bolt, yeah, which was actually the first spoiler for wizard, uh, for, um, um, arcane rising. Yep. Very cool. All right. Thanks for the question, Zach. If you want to get your mind cookout questions in, you can drop them in the comments below on YouTube, tweet at us, uh, email them to arsenalpassfab at gmail.com. Just whatever you want to do, you know, get a sign writing plane and put it in the sky above Dallas, Texas. I don't know, just whatever's, whatever's going. Um, main topic of the pod. Let's move on, Brendan. We're talking about this dynasty class constructed meta, which is really starting to shape up now we've had uh, just to kind of Basically, what we're going to do is we're going to go through the events we've had so far, talk about how this meta has started to evolve, talk about the decks that we're seeing, and then discuss a little bit about where we think this meta is going to go as we hit to ProQuest season. Because as we say, there's basically, you know, outside of local events that you might have, maybe, you know, a store in California is running a 1K or something like that. There's there's no bad tier two events happening between now and start of ProQuest season. So mm-hmm. now's the time to discuss what we've seen so far. So we're going to go through what we've seen so far, which includes... The Philadelphia uh, Battle Hardened and PTI event. We've also had the PTI event in Hong Kong, which was attached to a Blitz uh, Battle Hardened, which happened uh, end of November. And then just last weekend, we had Singapore, where we had a PTI and a Battle Hardened event. So we have five tier two events to talk about and some really interesting metagames to break down, Brendan. So let's just get straight into it and talk about Philadelphia, which happened first. This is kind of where we saw Dynasty. This is where we saw Dynasty for the first time. This is where mm-hmm. it all kind of unfolded. I think this was, I want to say this is the weekend of release, right? So you know, very, very start of Dynasty. And uh, to talk about this event, we had uh, Battle Hardened on the Saturday, which saw a pretty interesting top eight. Uh, we saw three dash. This is kind of the start of like this dash discussion in this in this new Dynasty format. Three dash, two Dromai, two Icelander and a Bravo on the top eight with a dash ultimately taking it out. I think it might've been a mirror match in the finals, even a dash mirror match in the finals. And then the uh, PTI event the next day where we saw three fires. So a very different sort of top eight, Ultim, Icelander, dash, Bravo, and a Katsu, so very different. And uh, Icelander won that. Brody Spurlock on Icelander won that event. Mm. Uh, I think it was Icelander versus... Top four was Dash, Icelander, Ultim, Katsu. I don't know what the final looked like. I know uh, Katsu was playing Ultim. I think Michael uh, Michael Feng was playing Ultim. Not sure who made the final. There was a cool Katsu deck that Pat HQ was playing. Like I think it was a, a Tiger Katsu deck. We haven't really seen much of that since then. But yeah, the, the, kind of the start of the season. Interesting, two days apart, a day apart even, you see... Dash go from like completely dominating, no fire in the top eight. All of a sudden, there's fire back in the top eight, and there's only one dash. So, uh, you weren't at that event, were you? 
No, but if I was going to weave like a narrative around this, I think that uh, Dash going into you know as soon as Dynasty comes out, people look at some of the new cards for Dash. There was you know there's a shiny shiny object in the form of Nitro Mechanoid, but probably ultimately not not the direction you're going to be going. But we saw cards like Pulse Life Harpoon come in, um, as well as some oh, know, some non attack action buff. Exactly. So very very strong cards come in for a, a deck. That was already quite powerful, but its its biggest downside being fatigue. And then we see a card in the form of Hanabi Blaster that uh, drastically mitigates you, that that potential strategy winning against you. So I think Dash was not surprising to see it at least show up. Um, the amount of success it got was surprising, right? Because those decks, while they were using decks from the past as inspiration, I mean, they were still kind of fundamentally new. And you know, if if it's winning tournaments, sort of day one, uh, effectively, it, it just shows how powerful that deck potentially is once it does get refined. Um, nevertheless, I would if when I look at something like Dash. I would identify it as an aggro deck, right? It could be a bit transformative and mid-range or something like that, but ultimately an aggro deck, especially with things like Hanabi Blaster. And in Flesh and Blood, the way it tends to work is when there's a dominant aggro deck or a, a set of quote-unquote dominant aggro decks, which is kind of a fallacy. It's more like there's just one, right? You pick the aggro deck. You pick the best aggro deck because there's almost no reason to be playing the second best aggro deck. You just always divert to the wow. best. And I think that's what Phi is. So, I, so people saw that Dash was seeing a lot of success. Maybe Dash was hating things out of, out of the format. And then they swap over to Phi, right? Which might be more premier. Well, I think as well, the, the Dash decks you saw on the first weekend at Battleheart and Philly, they both were playing pistol plans. So the, the player that came second did have Hanabi Blaster in the deck, but fundamentally they're both playing hybrid, you know, a boost aggro that had access to items, you know, like pistol items and sideboard. Both of them are playing pretty traditional decks, similar to what you saw Christian Hawk top eight Pro Tour Leal with, like effectively mm -hmm. with a couple of, a couple, you know, Pulse Wave Harpoon plugged in. I think some of them played BIOS update and then there was a Hanabi Blaster and <clears throat> what looked like a sideboard for uh, the player that came second. But I agree. Fi into those builds traditionally just just too fast, right? Just a faster aggro deck. So that, like you say, the success of Fi. And then of course Icelander, we just we just know how powerful that, that deck is. And uh I think Icelander yeah. can always win an event, right? And yeah. Brody Spurlock at a battle hardened too is like it's <laughs> it's so funny when you when you started off you're talking about Brody Spurlock and Michael Fang at Battle Hardens and that is just such a uh the name's synonymous a with cliche them. a cliche at this point is like Brody Spurlock and Michael Fang top eighting or winning battle hardens across the United States. Like they just travel like two peas in a pod and they're always top eighting these things. But so funny. Michael always playing old him, even though he says it sucks constantly, and Brody Spurlock playing either Briar or Icelander. Yeah, traditionally Briar, but swapped to Icelander for this event. So, all right, so that was the first weekend of events. We saw, yeah, breakout weekends for Dash, Fi not going anywhere, Icelander still putting up results. Very little Ultim, though. So, across the two top eights, only one Ultim. Uh, Bravo actually putting up two 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 spots in the top eight whereas uh, uh Ultim, sorry just the one they moved hong kong which happened uh two weeks later uh and we have a on the saturday there's a battle harden which is a blitz event i think that was won by dash i think it was a dash rhino final maybe even uh and then you hit to this pti event on the sunday and i actually have the metagame breakdown for the pti event so the most played deck at the pti event was uh icelander six copies of icelander in the in the event Dash, five copies, and then I think Ultim, Lexi, and there's a lot of decks that have two two copies. In the end, the top eight looks like this. You have uh, three Dash players in the top eight, an Icelander, Dromai, a Briar, 
a Reinar and a Fi. So a pretty diverse top eight, but again, dominated by, by Dash and in the end, an all Dash final. A really cool mechanoid focused deck versus a more traditional hybrid pistol deck where the hybrid pistol deck ends up winning. But this mechanoid deck, I watched some of the, there was some coverage of this and just like plays against Briar, just blocks, 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 mechanoid, high octane, bang. Just like, you know, like semi-combo mechanoid deck, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I sat on the other side of that during one of our Blitz, like when we were filming some of those Blitz videos. I think it was one of the ones that we we weren't able to upload because yeah yeah, there was like a corruption or something like that but yeah aside across from that combo it's pretty powerful once it comes off but the stars do need to align a bit i do want to sort of magnify in on this dichotomy between old him and bravo because bravo making it into these these top eights or even showing up is is really interesting to me because i actually think that bravo is just actually I think it's objectively worse than Oldham in almost every single way. Um, like, I think Bravo's hero text ability is effectively blank. Uh, there's almost no excuse to ever be activating it unless you're already winning. And Oldham's, Oldham's on the other side of that, on the flip side of that coin, is so powerful. So if you're playing Bravo, you have to ask yourself, like, is Crippling Crush and is things like Showtime, are they worth it? I think ultimately, absolutely not when Oldham has access to Crown of Seeds and is usually playing some, like, pretty much the exact same cards that Bravo's playing, but just, w- like, in a much more efficient manner so i think bravo shows up because people think about a way to counter fine to counter aggro decks they're like okay i'm just going to dominate disruptive effects but i would rather be playing old him and be playing disruptive effects by using my two deck and pitching one card and then doing two card eight or two card ten mm. because that's what old him does right or command and conquer pummel off my tunic so yeah there's like there's this we consistently have seen this since the last battle hardened season before worlds it's like bravo and old him showing up i i do think that we will ultimately trend into like mostly old him sounds like you're speaking uh, from Bravo. experience there of uh <laughs> yeah 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 because michael feng he was here in texas and he goes why would why would you play bravo over old him because you look at the deck list they're not that different i'm like <sighs> so there's not a great reason there, there really isn't let me ask you a question you sit down as fire would you rather play against old him or bravo i think he would 100 percent rather play against bravo like bravo because like you you think that like okay i'm gonna dominate this card but it i don't think that's extremely effective and like when you dominate something like crippling crush don't worry about crippling crush crush the week yeah not crippling crush the week right that's the most important so the crush the week dominate it's it's really expensive Fi does have a little bit of armor to kind of deal with that and you don't have a massive like set of turns to be doing that multiple times in a game so i would just much rather be using my freaking um my ice shield, which is very powerful, mm. or in my crown of seeds, and then my ultimate ability to ice back things on top of the deck. Like, it just—I feel like it really outclasses yeah. Bravo against uh, against Fi. Yeah, I think we were, we were gonna—I had this in the notes to talk about later, but we're, we're here now, so we should definitely do, just kind of round it out because you've kind of said all the things that I think are there to be said. But I will say that I do think if you're trying to target very specific decks. I think, for instance, you can make Bravo have a better fine matchup than Ultim because you can play these three card hands that dominate crush the weeks and um i always forget the other one the one that comes in for eight and stops choke slam yeah choke slam like i think you can build these decks and you can have a better deck into them than ultim but i agree generally the spread is going to be better you would the the turn to turn things that you're trying to do as a guardian ultim is generally going to do that better you have access to you know stalagmite which i think is just a crazy good card (laughs) crown of seeds crazy good especially when you pair it with the other shield which you can play into other matchups so ultim has all these tools that that bravo doesn't but bravo does have some tools and some play patterns and ways to build specifically that ultim doesn't necessarily yeah. so i think bravo's play patterns and tools are a bit 
a bit clearer, right? Like I think that it's it's very much like uh, it's, linear. I think it's yeah, I think it's on the nose, right? It's like dominate this, disrupt them, and you know, take away their ability to have go again or gain power, stuff like that. Where old him is just more of like, okay, I my deck can gain significantly more value than something like a Brava, right? Because my mm-hmm. hero ability is more powerful, my shield is freaking amazing, and then I have this broken piece of legendary head equipment. Yep. So, yeah, Brendan thinks no reason to play Bravo. I think some reason to play Bravo, but I generally kind of agree with what you're saying. Um, <clears throat> interestingly, in this top eight, come back to Hong Kong for the PTI event, no Guardian whatsoever out of the, what, five Guardian decks. So, I mean, Guardian was only about, you know, 10% of the meta, but not making it into the top eight at all. Icelander, most played deck, only puts one one player mm-hmm. into the top eight in the end. Dash, which was the second most played, uh, you know, what, 60% of the players make it into into top eight. So um pretty pretty huge conversion rate there obviously in two of them in the final one ends up winning yeah and uh we see the first sort of spot for briar come back into top eight and um you know again dromai dromai had two top eights in in philadelphia sort of that two weekends before and another top eight here so you know those are kind of the narratives i think you start to see coming out of hong kong and then we move on to singapore this past weekend where we had two events again we had a battle harden and a pti so the battle hardened again i've got the thanks to i don't know who posted this uh but i saw it on twitter so i, I can't give direct credit to who posted this but thank you to if you do know who it was please post it in the comments but they put up the full meta breakdown um it might have been jyk a uh, jyq on on twitter uh who's an event organizer in singapore actually but so we head to battle harden hong kong most played deck brendan yeah, you guessed it, Reinar, obviously. Mm-hmm. Reinar is the most played deck in the Battle Hardened yeah. in, in Hong Kong on the Saturday, followed by... It's close, it? though. It's close. It's equal oh, with Bravo. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually equal with yeah, Bravo, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And then so, two things that are a bit surprising, but yeah. I mean, Reiner. it's definitely close with the, rest of, with the rest of the meta. We got a lot of other, you know... For sure. Fives, uh, <laughs> Icelander yeah. Fi here. Reinar, Bravo, top played, and then, yeah, Icelander is the second most played, or second, Fi and Icelander are the equal second most played. And then you go into this is a good representation of Dash, Lexi, Viserai, Briar, Dromai, Kano, even three copies of Kano. So there's like this, there's an even kind of spread of, of decks around that kind of second. So a lot of a real diversity to to the metagame. Um, and then you see the top eight, two Bravo. So Brendan, clearly you're wrong. Uh, two Lexi <laughs> in there. Uh, no Ultim, you'll note though, no Ultim in this in this uh, top eight, although there was only one player playing Ultim. Yeah, yeah. Again, default to Bravo for whatever reason, like you say, is that the correct decision? But two Bravo, two Lexi, a Kano, a Reiner, a Dorinthia, and a briar so again a pretty diverse top eight there yeah and i think if you really want to read between the lines and some of this data and like uh, a deck that i'm particularly interested in which is icelander it's like icelander has terrible conversion rates and it, mm-hmm. it has been having that since michael hamilton took that deck to win the u.s national championship that's why it fell off like it was less popular going into the world championship it's like people were not ignorant of that deck they knew about it they picked it up they tried it and they did not have success with it and we see that happening again um that deck i guess it's just a bit harder to sort of convert with or to pick up or maybe it has a bit of a higher skill floor right takes a bit to sort of gain a basic proficiency with it but yeah we consistently see icelander show up in force and then not convert well at all icelander has it's this deck where you have so much agency like whether you think agency is the in this game whatever but you do you have a lot of decisions to make you have a lot of things you can impact your opponent because of cards like hypothermia channel like frigid frostbites the sequencing decisions to be made almost every single turn there is always correct plays and there's always incorrect plays but with icelander those are a lot more difficult to identify i think and there's a lot of points that you can make the incorrect play as opposed to the correct play and that is really punishing as a deck 
to what level that is where you get to it. I'm, I'm sure there's a point where you get to a threshold of, say, you say there's 12 misplays in a game, right? And you get to the point where you stop making eight of those. Is that enough? Maybe that's enough to make Icelander the correct choice, right? But I, there's going to be, there's so many decisions to make and a couple of wrong missteps with Icelander can just derail your game. It is, it is, it is not the easiest hero to, to play this yeah. for sure. It's, it's, it's interesting. Like I have a theory, kind of a working theory on Icelander is that um, a lot of people play the deck incorrectly from like a macro perspective right like they fundamentally play the deck like wrong right they're not valuing the attack actions correctly and not valuing when to defend when to attack when to place disruption like when to take damage mm -hmm. to place a channel like frigid when to you know give the frostbite to try to disrupt the opponent's turn all this kind of stuff uh and they might play the deck too aggressively too defensively and you know not use the insidious chill setups correctly etc cetera, etc cetera. and it the deck feels like ass if you do that like it, it does not feel good because yeah. <laughs> you, you will especially just get rolled by aggro decks like it, it does it feels you look at icelanders package and you're like oh this is tailored to beat uh, aggressive decks like five it's very disruptive no like uh, these little five decks they will just run over you and you you actually exist on a very thin margin against them it's just that i think a lot of the wins look a bit convincing sometimes but uh, i i think that the, the matchup is quite close and like your margin for error as the icelander deck is very very small yep agree so Kind of the takeaway from that Saturday event, two Lexian top eight. Lexian's up winning that event, uh, beating three Bravo, beating three Guardians on the way they're doing so. I think two in the top eight, one in Swiss. Uh, don't know what the deck list looked like, haven't seen it yet, but I know it was more of an Ice Lexi based build, obviously with some sort of cyborg plan, probably using some of these new cards like Drill Shot cards pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, but to be honest, my kind of takeaway from that is great medical if you're expecting a bunch of dash and, you know, aggressive dash and aggressive fire decks. And Traditionally, in this is in Singapore, very aggressive meta. So I think Lexi, a, a pretty great call, ends up sort of reaping the benefits. I think as well, that's pe why people chose to play Bravo. Just like you said, point A to point B, best way to disrupt an aggro deck, I'm going to pick up this Bravo deck and play it for, for right or wrong, right? I think that's yeah. that's kind of what we see happen. So that's the breakdown there. We head to the Sunday event, PTI event, so again in Singapore. Uh, and this looks like so the diversification again really widespread hero pool and i think you see this at battle hardens you see this at callings right you see a lot more diversification at these open events as opposed to closed events like a, a pt etc um but again uh interestingly kano Zero. is the second most played deck in this yeah it's like reinar again the most played deck and then it's like equal with viscerai kano dash so yeah. probably the same people showing up right and um yeah that's singapore too like they the people the players in singapore have i mean almost since the inception of flesh and blood in that region have favored uh wizard decks that's i mean we see no icelanders in this day two event <laughs> they all went home uh, yeah, yeah they all went home but the kano players and this is uh, this is uh very akin to most people that do play that deck there's three kano players in the the previous day's event and now there's three kano players in this event because uh, people who play that deck tend to you know be a bit stubborn i think yeah well spoiler alert another kano in the top eight here as well uh chu hing made top eight both days uh with kano chu hing probably if not the best player in singapore one of the best if not one of the best in the world to be honest if you want to check out a small interview we did with him on the uh, world's vlog you can see that meet who chu hing is uh two fire two ultim alexi a kano olivia and the eventual winner a reiner also in the top eight brendan so really interesting obviously we see we see no ult on the day before and all of a sudden we've got two ult and back in the top eight. So again, a real flip on its head of, of what happened the day before. I don't know if people thought, wow, bunch of Lexi, bunch of Bravo. I'm playing ult today. Obviously, whether they did think that or not, ult did well. 
uh, Fire coming back. And then, yeah, of course, you know, another Lexi, Kano, there's Olivia, but this Reinar ends up winning it. Uh, I mean, if you dodge the Fires, it's a pretty good top eight for Reinar. So, you know, I'm not super surprised. Yeah, Reinar's been taking names recently. Even before before Dynasty, but I mean, one of my big one of my sort of bigger takeaways from the data from Singapore and Hong Kong specifically is like their battle hardens are a bit small in terms of participation. Looks like, and I think that's why we get such a big spread in terms of like what decks are top eighting and kind of like what shows up. You saw you know no, no Icelander on the second the second day's tournament, which maybe makes sense in the context of like none of them converted, but probably doesn't make sense in in the sense of like you know it's probably one of the top three top three top three most powerful and most played decks in the current meta yeah well let's go on to talking about i guess the kind of overall picture i mean i do want to say it's, i think it's 70 players the battle hardened pci event has, has a bit less on the second day but uh, the other thing i want to point about reinar is that we've had three pretty big reinar wins in the last couple of months we had chandler of course winning the calling uh we had the malaysian national champion we've now had reinar win this battle hardened all three of those players are like Reinar mains like stands like Reinar stands. I just want to point that out. It's so funny that like those are the players who come through and when it's like these people they're so dedicated to Reinar and they get their they get their rewards. So uh, let's what's let's look back. What's the overall meta picture heading out of these these three battle hardened weekends? Well, Dash ends up with the most top eights, uh, and then Fi. So seven top eights for Dash, six for Fi, and then it's actually a tie between Bravo and Icelander for the next most top eights. And then Ultim, Lexi, Dramai, Reinar round out with three top eights each. Really interesting. You know, no Arachne in there. Uh, you see Briar is like has two top eights, but doesn't really make much of a dent in there. Um, what else do we see in there? Lexi's really interesting. Just a, quite an interesting spread of like top eight results. You know, nothing too dominating apart from Dash and Fire. It starts to shape us up of what the meta is kind of looking like in terms of wins two dash wins an icelander win a lexi win and a rhino win again quite a diverse wins there for these battle hardened and pti events yeah absolutely and i think like you said no arachne showing up which is interesting as it's the the new class and hero i mean it showed up just didn't do it well yeah (laughs) showing up in terms of like putting up big putting up big performances and uh I think it speaks to the deck's potential power level, right? And might be indicative of what we should expect for ProQuest season, unless somebody is able to sort of complete, uh, at least relatively reinvent the the current deck list that exists out there. It does need to see a bit of change in innovation if it's gonna it's gonna be a real threat in the meta. Yep. Before we talk about kind of the decks to be and what this meta is shaping up to look like in our eyes, the one thing I want to point out is no Viscerai represented in these top eights at all, despite showing up in some reasonable numbers. That's probably the one that's the most uh surprising you'd probably expect to see maybe one or two viscera in there the deck hasn't changed much there's still this more shrill package you can get now access to looming doom to help you against you know potential fatigue matchup and ultim really interesting to not see it i think still good but you know maybe people are focused on other aggro decks dash can potentially be a pretty tough matchup for you fi as well so maybe it's just not viable in a pretty aggressive meta that we've started to see so we've seen at the start of this meta at least mm-hmm so let's let's talk about let's talk about the best right or the best of the rest as you have on here because I don't know I, I would like to start off with talking a little bit about Briar Briar is just criminally underappreciated in the previous meta and now cr- probably criminally underappreciated again we see Phi coming out potentially as a response to to um, to Dash right as maybe being the more premier aggro deck but I think Briar is right there in contention you saw Briar see success at the World Championship 
fulfilling that exact same role, right? Competing with Fi as just a beatdown aggro deck and just trying to be faster. And we saw uh, the, the the power of that actually on stream with Chris Sayali, I believe, um, yep. basically getting close to drawing his entire deck uh, on stream. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you have this, the other thing is Dromai, right? Like Dromai is something that we didn't see at the World Championship, but it's like we saw it at events prior to that. We saw it at Callings. And then we now see that it's starting to put up some results. Dromai is real. Like that is one thing I think is like people go, well, you can't beat Agridex, so why would you play Dromai? I mean, look, we saw Demamata take down Tarek Patel and Fi in, in an yeah, online event. So I'm just saying. So you know, it did top eight. It did top eight worlds, remember? So it, it did have one. Oh, top, sorry, yeah, it did two. The player yeah. from uh, Italy, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, the guy who's the, um, sorry, I forget his name. Omar. Um, Omar. I think it's Fat. Yeah, Omar Fat, maybe. Yeah, um, he's the new yellow hat of, of, <laughs> <laughs> of Flav because he had the he had the special hat. But yeah, we had one Dromai in the top eight, which was very surprising at the World Championships. But Dromai is a deck that I think the, the deck list has seen a lot of evolution, actually, mm -hmm. since its inception. And uh, the list has adapted quite a bit. Um, to where it's actually able to beat some of these aggro decks. So that's mm -hmm. like the biggest question you have with Jeremiah is like, you can't just have a Jeremiah list that preys on freaking Oldham or in, like slower decks because they don't really Slender. exist. You have to have a Jeremiah deck that beats, uh, that beats these aggro decks if you're going to compete. Yep. Yeah, at least be able to compete. Like you say, like it can't just immediately fold. It has to be able to win, you know, four out of 10 games or something to be, to be viable, I think. So that is what we're saying. So let's talk about it. Where do you see, what are the best decks right now? Like in my eyes, it's Dash is the deck to be, right? It's, it's Dash and Fi. And I still think Icelander is one of the most powerful things, but it is this thing to harness, right? It's something that is maybe tougher to play. People have walked away from it to try other things in the meantime. It's still really powerful. We're still putting up some results. If I was to look at, we don't really talk about tiers, I guess, because it's 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 interchangeable. It depends on the build, it depends on the meta. But I think the three most generically powerful decks right now and the decks that people are going to look to are Dash, Fire, and Icelander in, in this upcoming progress season to start with at least. Yeah, it it's interesting because I think that there's a bit of a distinction between like, uh, like actual like I don't know real realized power level and mm. potential power level because I think the Icelander mostly exists in like potential power level where you know like as we, we see it consistently from the results it just falls short. Um, I don't know what it is about that deck where it's just it's only it seems to only be able to convert in like a select number of uh, players' hands. But I would put yeah I mean I totally agree with you with like the dash fi. I probably put um, things like Briar up there as well like. I just think that people have straight away for that deck as it's maybe gotten a bit stale, a little bit boring, I guess. And, you know, you have other aggro decks to choose from that are a bit more exciting, maybe. I just think it's fundamentally powerful and people underappreciate that deck a lot. Um, I would put Icelander probably below that tier just because not a lot. Like, we just don't see a convert. But if I was looking to play ProQuest and I wasn't trying to roleplay as a Kano player... I would definitely be looking at Icelander as my number one pick after that, and then be looking at Dash. Um, if my Icelander deck can't beat the Dash infestation or Fi infestation, they'd all switch. But for me and the playstyle that I enjoy, um, if I'm not playing Kano, Icelander's probably my number one pick. <laughs> You've got to caveat it out, right? Because the Kano pick is not 100% logical, and it's definitely not logical in the, in the, in yeah, the context gonna... of like a, a pro quest season. I'm going to talk more broadly, like just as how I would approach this as just a player looking at, at at kind of these results and how I want to look at the meta and just the power level of decks out there. I think, I think to me it is dash fire. I kind of agree with you on Icelander. I think Briar, like you just have the three best aggro decks, right? And that kind of tier one of yours. I might have 
Briar a step down because I think it is tougher into Fi, and I don't even think the dash matchup is particularly that that amazing for you either. Uh, the the next one I think is like is is Dramai for me. Like I think that is that is a real deck, and that is kind of sitting in that tier two ish kind of region for me. Then there's like this Guardian debate, which we've just had. It's probably Ultim, right? Ultim feels like the the Guardian deck that sits in that place that looks to police at least some of these aggro decks be the disruptive element, be this kind of big hitting deck that's in there. It just, it feels like Guardian maybe has kind of lost its identity a little bit at the start of the season and what it, what it wants to exactly do. You know, we saw this in Nationals, even into Worlds season where it's like, you know, you've got people playing like Red Glacier Footsteps and Pummels and more Prac decks and then there's still these more traditional Ultim decks. And it's like, what is Ultim's kind of identity? And I think that is the toughest thing is that I think on any given day with, you know, if you know exactly what the meta is going to do, you can build an Ultim deck to beat the field. But it's really hard when you have to metagame and have to choose what to what cards to play and what cards not to play and which sort of axes you want your ultim deck mm. to to operate on. I think that's the challenge of ultim. I think ultim ultim generally played as a value deck nowadays. It's not really built as a fatigue deck, and I think that uh, in the hand in the hands of the the right player, I think that Icelander is a better value deck. Um, like, seem that way. Yep. Because I, I look at those current builds of Ultims and how they utilize their Fendelspring Tunic and their four costs or their Pummels plus two costs. And it, it does seem like it's completely based around just trying to outvalue the opponent. And I think that Icelander is just a better version of that deck right now. But Ultim is a totally legitimate pick as well, if that's like the playstyle you would prefer. Yeah, it's, I think it's a playstyle thing. Like the weapon is still very strong, and pummel CNC. If you you know if you hit two or three pummel CNCs in a game, you're like that is that is going to win you games. <laughs> who who hits two three pummel CNCs in a game? Jesus Christ! Oh, Dan, every time we test, I tell you what, every <laughs> single time. Anyway, uh, and then I think there's this group of medicals, which is Lexi. We saw Lexi win uh, a yeah. battle harden plus put up results. I think a really interesting medical for the start of the progress season. If you're expecting a lot of aggressive decks at this kind of because you could say, oh, well, you know, like it's, if you're looking at ice deck, do I look at a heavy ice kind of ultim? I think Lexi just does it the best. It gets to be proactive because aggro decks can break the the oppression, can break the kind of what what you're trying to do to them with trying to slow the game down. But when you're Lexi and you're putting on damage at the same time and you're saying like, here's three on hit effects, like, you know, okay, if you don't stop this, you're going to have to pay two resources and you're going to lose two cards from your hand. Like that, you're going to get multiple frostbites. Like that is, that is a lot that's happening here. So I do yeah. think Lexi can potentially be in a really, really good spot. I'd say like Kano is a meta pick as well. You know, again, if you're expecting like a lot of Fi and a lot of Ultim, it could potentially be, you know, could be a pick. If you're expecting a lot of Dash, I'm less keen on playing Kano personally, <laughs> but um, we'll see. Uh, you know, we saw Chu Heng top eight both events in Singapore over the weekend with it. What other kind of meta picks are out there, Brendan? Anything else you see? Mm, I just really, I, I, I really like Lexi. Um, to be honest, like I don't play much Lexi, but mm. uh, if if the if the if the meta looks very saturated by aggressive decks, um, like Icelander can Icelander can beat those decks. It can draw the correct side of its deck and sort of shut them down. But I feel like Lexi, uh, more often than not, will kind of just like dismantle those decks I, i'm yeah. more calling it on my knowledge of like playing briar into lexi and it can just feel so freaking miserable because I, I remember back in the battle harden here in dallas uh in the in the previous season there was a lexi player that won undefeated in swiss and was just absolutely dumpstering all those fives and briars and that's what it feels like it feels like if you're on the briar side you're on the five side there's just like sometimes there's nothing you can do you're like i just need them to draw the absolute yeah, like garbon garbanzo beans of freaking hands to get back into this game. Um, it just tends to be that the Lexi deck is a bit narrow in terms of what uh, 
what it can compete against. It tends to struggle against the, the Guardians. Yeah. Which are my. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Viserai is the other deck that we haven't really t- touched on at all. And I, I think it. The problem with that is that as an aggressive Runeblade, Briar is doing it better as this kind of potential mid range deck. Maybe that's where it finds a spot. It's like a really open. I think Viserai could perform in a really open meta because you can have this really clear mm-hmm. game plan, like we talked about before. It's also quite good into Guardians. Uh, it can kind of do it all, so that's where I think this right kind of falls in the meta. Potentially a quite a good week one pick into a really open meta, if that's what you expect. Otherwise, it's a deck that I'm less looking at. How, the question I have, though, that we haven't really talked about this, we've talked a bit about Reiner, but how good is Brute, really? Like, Because my experience so far in testing is that it's not good enough, whether it's Livia, whether it's <laughs> Reiner. And my kind of, the what I'll point to is that the players that have been seeing success, these are just like, these are the players who play... Reinar or Levia, week in, week out, know the decks inside and out, can gain their 100% edge or close to in every single sort of spot and, you know, are putting up some results. Like, it hasn't put up the biggest results, but it has put up some results. But my experience so far is that it isn't, it isn't good enough to compete. Like, to me, it's like tier yeah. three. Like, it's not even in the top yeah. two tiers. I mean, so kind of the way I would speak to that is that if I was looking at the upcoming ProQuest season, Reinar is not even, like, I'm not even considering it. Like, it's not even an option. But... Uh, I can't, I can't deny the results it's seen. Like it's seen results, and people have seen success. Those people are just not me, and I don't think they're gonna be me either. Especially when I'm looking at some of these bigger, like these larger pro quests uh, in my region. And when I say larger, it's not because they're way harder to win because the people are way better. No, it's just like the meta can be super diverse, and it's mm-hmm. like I'm not bringing, I'm not gonna bring Reinar to like this like crazy freaking meta. I would probably rather bring Reiner to a meta that I can sort of predict and expect a bit more. Um, but yeah, I mean, can't deny results. Like people are seeing success with it. It's, yeah. There's power there. I would not even consider the deck at this point. That's my takeaway as well. Is like if I, I, I want to play Reiner in a bit more of a focused meta where I can kind of target my deck list a little bit more. That's what I've, where I've played Reiner in the past. But again, you know, I think this goes back to something you said two weeks ago in our How to Win a ProQuest episode, which is you talked about, you know, picking a deck and metagaming. And then one of the things you said is ultimately one of the best ways to find success is to play what you know. And I think mm-hmm. that's what we've seen with players like this is they know them inside and out. They do really well with these heroes. They Maybe the 10% they lose on some of these matchups, they, they pick up with just their ability to play these heroes and extract as much, you know, potential in each of the, the game scenarios as possible. And I think that's 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 what we're seeing, you know. Azalea, mm-hmm. for instance, I'm, you know, we saw Azalea top eight Polish nationals and make a really deep run. You know, I think Azalea is actually pretty good in this meta. You know, there's these decks. If you play a hero and you know it inside and out, I think often just playing that hero is, is often a correct decision. To be honest with you, Hayden, that is just flesh and blood class constructed Great. right now and has Love been that. since since Prism was banned, to be honest. Like, yeah, that is just that's the meta that's that's what the meta we're in is like you can't get a big enough edge playing the best deck. So you might as well just play the deck that you're comfortable with that you're going to make the least mistakes on. Unless you're a very high caliber player and you, you know your decks are basically interchangeable and you can get a bit of an edge by maybe playing the Icelander deck or playing the Fi deck, you you can bring pretty much anything to a pro quest um, and even to a calling and win. And that is just that's where we are in flesh and blood right now we probably won't be there forever but i we can look at the the recent data from these these battle horns and we could say yeah there isn't a starvo in dynasty that didn't happen right there's no broken hero that's just everybody's going to pick it up and play the bro quest dash looked like it was potentially moving in that direction after the first tournament but we see it pull back and i yeah i think that you can you should just play what you're comfortable with um and what you enjoy at these at, at these pro quests Agree. Agree. There's there's two different pathways you can take. 
let's round it out. Let's talk a bit about where this metagame is moving. Um, you know, I think we're going to see, my kind of takeaway from all this, all this data and where we're going to see things is we're still going to see Icelander is going to perform and it's going to have a good season. I think that is my, my prediction. Uh, I think Fire is going to be a great pick. It do, does it beat Dash? Is that the kind of the deck that is really going to prowl Dash? If so, yeah, then yes, I think Fire is going to do even better. I think we're going to see a reasonable amount of dash in the early weeks because it is it is solid. There's a lot of new tools. It's exciting. It's fun to play. There's a lot of different ways you can build it. Mechanoid's cool. Um, I guess the, the kind of question that kind of lingers on my kind of lips as we head into the first week is like, is this just an aggro meta? And is that why we're going to mm. see people make anti-aggro picks? And where does it devolve from there? If it is an aggro meta in week one, I think it sort of starts to evolve into more of this, you know, making counter picks. It's really good for Icelander if that's the case. People start to make counter picks. I think that's probably how we're going to see it unfold. Yeah, it's uh I'm trying to uh, sorry, I was just trying to think about that question. It's like, hard. How do I def- how do I define an aggro meta in flesh and blood and is this that? Like I think that uh almost like numerically like in some of these top 8s it's like looking kind of like that. I mean, we see a lot of de- aggro decks just doing really well and it seems to float to the top of our list when we think about best decks like mm-hmm. they're they're mostly aggro decks. It doesn't feel like an aggro meta per se. Like uh, when I think about aggro metas, I think back to the, you know, the freaking Briar Winters and like all this stuff. But um, yeah, it just, it feels pretty open. I think that the, the easiest decks to potentially play and the decks that you can just see immediate success with might be the more aggressive decks. But mm-hmm. if it was me, you know, like I, I might bring Kano to a pro quest, but I don't think it's the best pick. I, I, I would probably pick Icelander. Like I think Icelander is well positioned. It's like a very, very, toolbox deck it can it can it can win against pretty much anything it feels like and it can be very consistent but also consistently bad <laughs> in some cases as we've seen so yeah maybe it's an maybe it's an aggro meta Hayden. i'm not sure but um i would trend towards something like isolator in this yep. meta well that's kind of my last question is what will we choose right now my kind of my three decks that i would potentially play at a pro quest week one dash briar or kano those are the decks i'm looking at mm-hmm. for you know a mix of results a mix of meta calls a mix of personal preference yeah for me it is kano dash and icelander uh, and totally totally don't know which one i would say the lowest on my list there is dash because that's just like mm-hmm. hayden give me list do you have list <laughs> like, but it's both on, our, it's both li- on our list we both have dash, so there it's go. like do you have list for me to play if so give me list but if not yeah i'm probably gonna be playing icelander it's just tried and true for me and i might spike a pro quest or two with kano it's like it's always gonna be in my bag it's always there like it's kano literally always two. in my bag <laughs> Yeah, Kano into like a hyper aggressive meta or like a dash meta or honestly ProQuest in general. I just don't think that like Kano is a great, a great pick. It's very much a, it's, I think out of any deck we've ever talked about or played, Kano is the most meta pick deck. <laughs> so when you go into these ProQuests, which are mostly unknown, Kano's just not great. It'd be tough. All right, Bryn, uh, anything to plug before we sign off for the week? No, like I said earlier in the top of the pod, for the upcoming deck techs that you want to see on Arsenal Pass, if there's any players you want us to get in contact with and feature on the channel, let us know. Super helpful. We would love to sort of, we would love to facilitate that um, and you know get that set up on the channel. But for that, for the upcoming ProQuest season, do expect a lot of deck techs and deck cards coming out on Arsenal Pass. Stuff to help you all level up and be successful in the upcoming ProQuest season. Mm-hmm. Yep, I've been playing a bit. All right, uh, Brendan, that's going to do it for this week's pod. Uh, if you do want to engage with us on Twitter, you can find us at BrendanAPG at Fian underscore Dale. Uh, big shout out to all of our Arsenal Pass patrons. We do have a lot more content coming for you. We've got another pod for December coming shortly as well. 
uh, thank you to to all of you for your support. And that's going to do it, Brendan. Until next time, we'll see you next week. See y'all.